What is going on, episode number five? Really excited to be doing this episode, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now. If you're listening to this on the day that this podcast drops, uh, the whole coronavirus thing is going, you know, full force. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of odd talking about things like how to avoid binge eating on the weekends, which is what our topic's going to be today in light of everything else that's going on. But I think probably the best way to deal with, you know, fear or uncertainty is to just keep chucking along and trying to do things that are at least normal to you and that you would be doing if this wasn't going on. So that's what I'm going to continue doing. And when this all blows over, if you're listening to this at that point, you'll probably just be like, you probably don't even remember it or you remember it and it's not that big a deal anymore. So uh, today we're talking about how to avoid or how to stop binge eating on the weekend. And this is a topic that I personally have had uh, a lot of struggles with. And I'm sure that if you are struggling to consistently lose weight, specifically body fat, and you've been trying for months on end, this is something that once you get a grasp of your whole weight loss journey is going to change for the better. So we're going to be knocking out some of these topics today. And I think the best place to start with overeating or binge eating has to do primarily with some sort of restriction. So I know at least for me and, and all of the diet woes that I've been through, that restriction is pretty much at the basis of all of those things. There's definitely uh, some other reasons for stress eating or binge eating that I think can be addressed. Um, but from my experience, restriction is really kind of at the root of it all. And if the scenario I'm about to give, if it, if it doesn't identify with you, then there's probably a different scenario that's going to work perfectly for you. But I know for at least for me, one of the things that I would tell myself whenever I would go on a healthy eating crusade, or if I would start a new diet, one of the things I would tell myself is I can only have, you know, select foods on the weekends. So if it's a junk food or a, you know, like a highly palatable kind of calorie dense food, like my vice is, uh, chips and salsa and ice cream. Like those two things, you put that in front of me, I'm going to have a really hard time trying not to overeat them because that's just, because they're just really good. So, um, that's, that's kind of been something that I've had to work with over the years. And when I restrict the food choices during the week and then open them up in the weekend, eight times out of 10, I'm probably binge eating those quote unquote restrictive foods. And this took me a really long time to to work on, and I'm I'm sure that if you're listening to this right now and you're trying to think of ways to reduce your overeating, you've probably thought about taking more and more food away. But really, what happens is is there's kind of this like boomerang effect, where the more you restrict, the greater the binge. Especially if you are thinking of like only having cheat meals on the weekend or only having cheap foods on the weekend. Because what ends up happening is, is whether you're completely conscious of it or not, you will be thinking about only being able to have that food on the weekend. And if you're only able to have that food on the weekend, then you'll probably eat more of it than you really need. And you'll probably eat past the point of actually being satisfied by that food, both from a physical standpoint and just from a 
you know, a, a pure kind of taste satisfaction standpoint. And now you're eating because of its scarcity. Now you're just eating it because it's only something you can eat on the weekend. Now, obviously, I'm not saying this as somebody who's a expert on binge eating, and I'm certainly not a binge eating coach. I just have a lot of experience with binge eating, and these are some of the things that I've been through. Um, so if you notice that you, you have a tendency to overeat specific foods, you might want to look at why that's happening. Are you restricting those foods to a certain time? Are you only allowing yourself to have those foods um, you know, during like a specific time of the year or, or like during the weekend? You might want to look at that. And what happens is, is it's not that you just give yourself permission to eat as much of these foods as you want whenever you want. It's more about saying, I'm not going to restrict this food by, by I am going to limit the amount that I eat. Because if I'm telling you just to eat whatever you want in whatever amount, it's basically just starting over at square one. So there is some level of restriction is not really the best kind of way to put it because although kind of at the deepest level, that's really what's going on. I like to think of it as reduction because I think reduction still, at least subconsciously or even consciously, allows you to realize that reduction doesn't mean elimination. It just means less of you know, the certain amount of whatever you're going to have. So you can have chocolate whenever you want. You just have to have it in a smaller amount. You can't just eat the whole chocolate bar just because restriction is bad. So there's, there's definitely kind of this gray area that you want to fall into. And one thing that you will notice with nutrition and just life in general is that, you know, the middle area between the two extremes is probably the best place to try to maintain and, and stay at. So if there's one thing that I've seen help my clients and help me, you know, back when it was really a, a struggle for me is to limit the amount of restriction, but still control the, the quantity or the amount that you're eating. So again, it's not like, Hey, let's go hog wild. We can have this chocolate. It's like, no, you can have chocolate whenever you want so that you don't get stuck in this. Like I can only have it on the weekends thing, but you do need to limit the amount that you have and just be you know, responsible about how much you have. I like to say in a lot of ways that if, if you're somebody who's having a hard time thinking about how best to, to maintain both a open nutrition, kind of a flexible nutrition plan, but also not go overboard, treat processed foods and quote unquote junk foods as the same as alcohol. Like, yeah, it's okay to have a drink every now and then, right? But if you just get drunk and black out every weekend, I mean, that's not a very good lifestyle to live, especially if you're trying to be healthy and you're trying to live a more balanced lifestyle. So I, I treat like things like sugar and junk food kind of like alcohol to the best of my ability. I'm not perfect about it, but I think of it in those terms where, yeah, there's nothing wrong with one or two beers, but if I'm having, you know, five beers, three shots and, you know, two mixed drinks, it's like, okay, now I'm just trying to get, you know, drunk and, and just like, you know, go that route. And that's not what I'm interested in doing. And I think when it comes to food, it's better to have a different approach than just, hey, let's, you know, let's just do whatever we want on the weekends. It's, it's, it's really one of the things that's going to keep erasing the progress that you make during the week. And when you look at studies that are done on on how people gain weight and what's like what's really going on, obviously it's a calories in versus calories out factor. But when you look at the behavior of people, a lot of times the reason why 
body fat sneaks up on you is because you'll be doing really good during the week, right? You're getting in some level of exercise. You're trying to eat as, you know, minimally processed foods as you can stick to whole foods, get your macronutrients in order that works best for you and your goals. And then you go hog wild on the weekend. And over time, you're consistently overeating on the weekend, slightly under eating during the week. But the kind of the net result of that is that you're overeating. And so you gain, you know, like one or two pounds every two weeks. And you don't really notice it because it's, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of quote unquote making up for it during the next week. But over months and years, that adds up and it specifically adds up in the form of body fat. So, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who's thinks they're doing everything right and you're not seeing results, obviously it comes down to a, you know, calories in versus calories out factor, but you might want to look at your weekends or look, you know, do a, a food journal on the weekends. What I when I hire a client on or when uh, a client hires me to help them with nutrition or fitness, specifically nutrition, I have them do a three-day food journal. And I have them do, sometimes depending on the conversation I've already had with them, I'll have them do both weekends and a weekday. Sometimes I'll have them do two weekdays and one weekend. And, you know, that's just because we eat differently on the weekends than we do during the week. I mean, it's just, it's natural. We spend more time socializing during the weekend. We spend more time relaxing or not being kind of tethered to whatever work responsibility we have. Um, there's more board eating, or I wouldn't even say boarding. I would just say downtime eating because you don't have to necessarily be bored to just eat. You could be watching a movie or watching a TV show or hanging around with friends and there's, you know, chips and crackers and, you know, whatever while you're hanging out. Um, so there's a tendency to be eating more times during the day than not eating. So there's a tendency for there to be just an overconsumption of calories, regardless of whether they're, you know, it's not like people are just, you know, binge eating and, and going, Oh my God, I feel like crap. I, I need to stop. I mean, there are those people, but sometimes it's just constantly snacking throughout the day where you really don't feel a whole lot different, but those calories are still adding up, even if it doesn't feel like it's making a big difference. Um, so yeah, there, you know, there's been some interesting research to show that the, those that are gaining weight over months and in years are typically that the weight that they're gaining as a result of their weekends being a little less controlled or a little less monitored or maintained, however you want to put it. So if you're, if you're one of these people that has a hard time trying to lose weight, you might want to look at your weekends and, and try to figure out if there's something there that you could, uh, you know, work on in terms of the quantity of food you're eating. And I'm definitely not saying this as like an expert and not uh, overeating. I'm saying this as a, uh, a student or a, at least a former student of this behavior and, and having a hard time with my own results because of this. And this is one of the things that I turn to. As I said, my weekends are just not as good as my weekdays. I need to find a way to, to work on that. So that's definitely the first place I would look at is how restriction affects your behavior with food and nutrition specifically, and what it is that you do on the weekends that might be contributing to overeating. Okay. So restriction is definitely probably the, the, the overarching theme here uh, that you need to look into. Now, if you get to a point where restriction really isn't something that you're too I mean, I think we all have a little bit of that mindset in us, but let's say restriction really isn't the biggest problem. Let's say it's just 
you are eating foods that are really easy to overeat, or maybe you're eating foods that don't feel like you're eating a lot, but the calories are adding up because of how calorically dense they are. So there's something that's really important to understand about food is that, you know, if you, it's, you know, at some point, depending on the food, and this kind of falls under the whole food versus processed food or processed food versus unprocessed food spectrum. But one of the things you want to start identifying are foods that are high in volume and low in calories. And on the other side of the coin, foods that are also low, like low in volume, meaning that you don't have to eat a lot of them, but are high in calories. So like potato chips, right? If I'm not saying that like potato chips are inherently fattening, but they're certainly a lot easier to overeat than, you know, cut up fruit or strawberries or something like that, where you have a high food volume and a lower caloric density. So a good example of this is just like one, one of my favorite things to do. And I talked about this in the YouTube video that I made on this as well. So if you're, if you've watched that and you're listening to this, it's, it's going to sound familiar, but one of the things I try to do more of in my daily nutrition and my overall nutrition, so this includes weekends, is try to include more foods that are high um, volume and low calories per volume. So like, for example, pickles, you know, you look at the back of a pickle jar and the calories are like five calories for a certain amount of pickles. And so you know, you'd have to eat a tremendous amount of pickles in order to even make a caloric dent in your nutrition. But at the same time, it'd be very hard to eat enough pickles in order for them to add up in terms of calories. So I look at these high volume, low calorie foods, and I try to include them in not only in my day, but in all my meals, at least, you know, one of several different kinds. And I'll even go over a couple of these uh, on my YouTube video. I created a list of these. So if you've uh, seen that, then you probably already know what I'm talking about, but I'll go ahead and list them here. So the first one I have is pickles, cucumbers, which is basically just fermented pickles or fermented cucumbers. Pickles are kimchi, sauerkraut, spinach, green beans, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, um, cauliflower, watermelon, strawberries, blueberries, and then lean meats and then things like carrots. So, I mean, that's by no means a complete list, but those were just all the ones I could really think of and, and you know, without going, because if I just give you a giant list, it's like, okay, it gets kind of redundant after a while, but, you know, your, your high-volume, low-calorie vegetables is a great place to start. There's also uh, high-volume, low-calorie fruits. Things like berries is a great example. And these foods will fill you up quicker than their calories will add up. Because, again, they have a lot of fiber, and in the, at least in the case of fruits and vegetables, they have a lot of water as well. So water and fiber is going to fill you up more than, you know, something like peanut butter, where it's like you could take two tablespoons, and that's almost 200 and, you know, something calories. And, and nothing, there's nothing wrong with peanut butter. It's not like you can't have it. But if you're looking at ways to fill up and stay full... You want to prioritize foods that have high fiber, high water, and high protein. Like those are the three major things that you want to look for because those are going to fill you up faster and their calories are going to add up. So um, that actually brings me to a study that was done. And I I was really fascinated when I found this research because I was trying to see exactly. I remember learning in my nutrition certification program that there's lots of ways in which our brain and our 
our stomachs communicate in terms of satiety. It's not just what I'm about to talk about, but one of the most, um, I guess, the one of the factors that carries the most weight is the weight of our stomach. So the analogy that I like to give is that you want to pretend that there's a pressure plate underneath your stomach. And that pressure plate is sensitive to it being touched by your stomach. And the only way that your stomach is going to uh, be able to touch the pressure plate is by creating more weight within the stomach. So the more weight you create in the stomach, the more the stomach descends, touches this pressure plate. This pressure plate sends a signal to your brain saying, hey, guess what? We're getting full or we are full. You can... You know, we're basically telling the brain that we don't need to consume any more calories. The brain shuts down hunger hormones and, you know, the whole process of wanting to eat starts to decrease. Now, if you're eating highly processed foods or lots of foods with uh, salt, fat and sugar or a combination of all three, then a lot of times those sensations or those types of foods will sort of override the brain's satiety. And there's there's some deep science that goes into it. I've read a couple books on it. I, I'm not exactly, like I can't just pull up the reference, um, but I remember reading about this, how sugar, sugar can kind of trick the brain into shutting off or at least dulling the satiety signals in our, in our body, which is why that, you know, if you have a big steak dinner with, you know, let's say you have a ribeye steak with a loaded baked potato and a side of, I don't know, like a mixed vegetable medley with some butter and salt on it, you eat that whole thing and you're full. Like you might be full for several hours, but you know, someone says, Hey, do you want a bowl of ice cream? And ice cream sounds good. And you can eat the entire amount of ice cream without really putting much of a dent on your satiety. And that's because the brain loves sugar. It's evolutionarily tied to our survival. Uh, Sugar in in our ancient ancestor times told us two things. One, this is dense with calories. And two, it's probably not poisonous because things that were sweet were also not poisonous. Things that were bitter would sometimes be poisonous. So it has a very important place in our brain's heart, so to speak, uh, in terms of survival. So sugar is a very, uh, I wouldn't say it's addicting, but I would say that it's, it's, it has a very strong pull on our uh, ability to overeat. So, you know, sugar in moderation and, and sugar you, as a managed form of calories is not going to be tremendously harmful, but it does affect our the behavior in which we eat, I would say, a lot more than we really realize. So anyway, going, that's a little off tangent, but anyway, getting back to the point, when you are able to fill up on high volume, low calorie foods, your hunger isn't as strong if you as if you were trying to fill up on something like potato chips or even highly processed, seemingly healthy foods, right? Um, so one of the, the biggest influences on my tendency to overeat, because I think that I've been a chronic overeater for like 10 years, if not more, and it really started when I was trying to gain weight to build muscle uh, between the ages of 16 and 20, because that's really when I was doing it. And I would sometimes repetitively just overeat because I needed to eat more calories, even though I didn't really want to. And so I don't know for sure, but I think I might've messed up my my natural satiety uh, signals and hormones. And I doubt that I did. I'm sure it's repairable. But anyway, I have a, I'm very susceptible to overeating um, because I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to build muscle, just a complete night. 
uh, naive way of thinking. Um, so one of the things that really helped me is being able to include more high volume, low calorie foods. Cause I love to eat. Like I enjoy food of all kinds. Like there's, there's very few foods that I don't enjoy. Um, so I, I feel like I'm predisposed to being in a category of overeating or at least eating more than I really need. Plus I'm very active and I think that makes a difference as well. Um, so what I would do if I were you is I would start looking into including more of these high volume, low calorie foods in your diet. Because if you can start including some more of those, it'll be easier to fill up. Now I'm not saying you have to only eat these. I'm not saying like you go on a <laughs> high volume, low calorie food diet, but I think that the more of these foods that you put into your nutrition on a daily basis, the easier is it's going to be to overeat. And this brings me to another study that I came across, um, or I guess it's kind of the same study I talked about earlier about how food volume is, is a more uh, important satiety signal than a lot of other things. Things like uh, you know saliva being secreted is a way of telling our brain food's coming. Um, chewing is another way of, of activating enzymes in our mouth and our stomach to break down food. Um, there's lots of different processes, but I would say that in terms of the behavior of either overeating or undereating comes down to the volume in which your food is, is coming into, is, is coming from. So if your food volume is low, meaning that you know, it's something that could very easily be overeaten, like a processed food, then you're going to be able to eat more of that and those calories are going to stack up. So anyway, if you find that you like to eat until satisfaction, like one of the things the study showed was that they gave, uh, they had two different groups. They obviously had a control group and they had an experimental group. And what they did is they said, okay, let's give each one of these groups the same amount of calories per day, a total amount of calories. We'll control the amount that they move will basically control everything, but the experimental group will have more high volume, low calorie foods. So things like, you know, pickles and watermelon and, you know, vegetables. And the other group will have, um, highly processed foods, but they'll still be eating the same amount of total calories. And what they found was, is that the group that was eating more high volume foods got full sooner. And they actually would undereat because they didn't want to eat anymore. And so the scientists would say, well, you got to finish your food. And they'd be like, well, I don't want anymore. And so they said, okay, you can stop. With the with the kind of in control group, what they did was is they said, okay, we're going to give you these foods. And the people that they fed these meals to would either overeat or they'd have no problem eating the same amount of calories that were, that were given to them. So what they basically concluded or what they found from the study is that you're more likely to stop eating when you feel full than you are to stop eating because of a certain amount of calories. Like our bodies don't count calories coming in like a piggy bank might count your coins. That's just not how, you know, satiety works. And that makes sense because, you know, evolutionarily that, that wouldn't have made any sense. We didn't know what calories were some 300 years ago. So to think that our bodies just naturally knew about calories in the form of energy and knowing when to stop eating based on that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but it makes plenty of sense that our brains and our stomachs would communicate with the volume of food that we eat, that the more we fill up our stomach, the less likely we are to um, overeat at that point. Now, you can definitely overeat 
and fill your stomach at the same time. I mean, that can definitely happen. But if you're focusing on including more of these high volume, low calorie foods, it's going to be harder to overeat because it's going to be more uncomfortable sooner into your meal. So you're going to feel satisfied. You're going to feel like you got enough food, but you're not necessarily going to overeat calories. And if there's one thing that I have experienced through coaching and, you know, my own personal life is that dieting sucks because you feel hungry when you don't want to feel hungry, right? You're slashing calories instead of changing the amount of, you know, the kinds of calories that you're consuming. And that's one of the instructions that I give with pretty much every person that I start off with is I say, hey, we're not really going to cut any calories out right away. I mean, it depends on the person and where they're at. But, you know, most of the time someone will come to me and say, you know, I want to lose weight. And I'm like, okay, well, let's look at your nutrition. And the nutrition is typically, you know, more processed foods than I would like to have in somebody's, you know, weight loss kind of journey. And I explained to them that, look, we're not going to eat less food necessarily, but we are going to eat less calories. And my clients will look at me like, how does that even work? And then I show them and it ends up working because when you feel like you're starving or you feel like you're eating less, the process entirely sucks. And there's even, uh, you know, if you look at the hormone profiles of people that are under eating food, uh, it, it sucks. It's not a, your body just doesn't like to not eat calories. And so if we can try to find a balance between not under eating food, but reducing calories, meaning that we include more high volume, low calorie foods so that we fill up, we don't feel hungry, but we're eating less than we were calorically. If that makes sense. I know that's kind of, it feels like I'm jumping around from thing to thing, but it's, it's true. I mean, if you were to eat you know, the amount of watermelon that you would find in two tablespoons of peanut butter, you'd be much more full from the watermelon than the peanut butter, even though it's the same amount of calories. So although all calories count, not all calories come in the same package and have the same effect. And that's important to understand. So, all right, cool. So that's kind of tip number two. We've talked about restriction. We've talked about trying to change the quality of your nutrition instead of the uh, necessarily trying to drop, just eat less calories because when you change the quality of your nutrition, you tend to reduce the amount of calories you eat naturally. And that's, that's ultimately the goal. The third thing I want to focus on is just being more mindful. Now, the reason why I don't like to create a centerpiece around mindful eating is because I think even when you are mindful of what you're eating, it doesn't always hold the highest weight in what you're doing. Like I can be mindful of eating as many potato chips as I want, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to stop. So I think mindful eating is important for times like going to the movie theaters or eating while you watch a show or uh, being entertained or distracted while you eat. Because uh, if you're distracted, you're not really going to be one, paying attention to your natural satiety signals. But two, you could just be you know, snacking all day long and it might not feel like you've eaten anything, but you've added, you know, 1200 calories with the small little meals or little snacks that you've had. And then you wonder why you can't lose weight. It's like, well, because you're snacking a thousand calories into your day, you know, a couple of times a week, or you're, you're snacking your entire weekend and all that, you know, calorie deficit that you had during the week is just being overrun by how many calories you're eating on the weekend. So being mindful is important. I'm definitely not saying that it isn't. Um, but I think the other two tips that I gave in the beginning are kind of, that's the order of importance, at least that I tend to do it 
uh, when I coach clients is I say, okay, let's look at, you know, how much you're restricting. Let's see what kind of quality nutrition you're doing. And then are you eating mindlessly or eating without even paying attention to it? And I just worked with a woman actually who was completely conscious of the fact that she was overeating, but she couldn't get herself to not, you know, do it. And so we worked on that and a lot of the mindfulness really helped, but so did the, you know, the previous two tips and we got to the bottom of it and it really helped her out. So that's obviously a good thing. So increase your mindfulness. You know, are you, are you just snacking when you're doing things uh, like watching TV or, you know, you're at a social event. Like I know one thing for me was, is like if I was at a social event and I didn't really know anyone who was there or, you know, I just kind of felt awkward, I would actually eat to stay busy. So I didn't look awkward, even though that didn't really help. And so for some of you, that might be a reason why you're overeating at parties is that it's like, I don't really know what to say or what to talk about with some of these people. I'm just going to eat to look busy and, and seem like I'm fitting in, right? I, I know that's been me in the past. And so if, if that's you out there, then I feel you on that one. Um, but try to be mindful during those situations and, and find another way to go about handling, you know, those social outings where you might feel a little bit awkward. All right, so we talked about restriction. We've talked about how you can include more high-volume, low-calorie foods and veggies in your nutrition to make it easier to fill up without adding up the calories. And we've talked about being more mindful when we eat during times of entertainment or uh, while we're distracted. Now I want to kind of go into some uh, drive-by tips. So these are some kind of quick little tips that can add even more value to what you're doing and and give you even more insight into why you might be overeating or binge eating on the weekend. So the first one that I like to use, uh, because it's it's very practical, and so long as you do it in the right frame of mind, it can be really easy to um, set up and, and do on the weekends, and that is doing a form of intermittent fasting so that you have a higher calorie allotment for those social outings. So it's not using intermittent fasting as a, an excuse to eat whatever you want, whenever you want, but it does give you a little bit more caloric salary or caloric amount to when you go out, you can have that meal that you want and not be you know, totally damaged by it the next day. What I don't want people doing is basically using intermittent fasting as an excuse to binge eat because I've seen that happen too. And I even got into a trap where I would like, you know, not eat until a social event. So I'd basically do like a 18 or 20 hour fast. I'd go out to dinner with some friends and I would eat the entire table. And that's that's also not a great way of of going about it, even if it doesn't save you or even if it does save you from eating too much on the caloric end, it's not a good behavior to get used to and, and to think of it that way. So you know, like what I would say is a good setup is, you know, fast through the morning into lunch, have a nice nutritious lunch, proteins, good whole food carbs, some vegetables. And then when you go out to eat, you'll probably have, you know, anywhere between a thousand to 1200 calories to, to use, so to speak, um, at that event. And that should cover you for whatever you have at that restaurant, because I've seen very few, um, you know, cal or very few meals that are under a thousand calories at some of these restaurants. And it might not feel like a thousand calories worth of food, but it's all the oils and the sauces and the, you know, ingredients that they put in there. 
that can really add up. So fasting can be a really good way to manage the damage of, you know, how many calories you eat at social events or social outings. All right. So then tip number two is have a protein rich uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner. So on the weekends, if at the very least, even if you don't have complete control over everything you're eating, and I honestly think that it's probably better for your mindset and just for your lifestyle to have a lot more flexibility and be able to have some of these, I don't know, less nutritious meals, but try to prioritize protein, uh, you know, especially and even vegetables that you, uh, as you can at these meals. It might not always be that way, but, you know, you go out to eat or you, you're having a, a meal at home and you can always include a, a protein source to make it a little bit easier to fill up without um, adding up those calories. And that's a good way of going about it. Um, the next tip is be mindful of food cravings when you're stressed out. You know, everyone in the world right now is really stressed out. And to cope with that, some people are eating more than they might normally eat. And, you know, I, I totally get that. I'm not trying to be, well, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite and say that you should, you, you should absolutely not do this, but try to just manage it the best you can. You're, you're going to slip up sometimes and that's okay. But always trying to be mindful allows you to at least empower yourself to do the best you can in the moment. Um, and I would be a hypocrite if I said I never did this, but you know, I've done this in the past and I still do it from time to time. So it's not about trying to cure your stressed eating behavior, but it's about being mindful about it and trying to find ways to make it um, a lot more manageable because it could be the reason why over time you're not losing the weight that you think you should be losing based on the effort that you're putting in. The next thing that I think is important is when you're bored or you're stressed out to ask yourself a series of questions. So if, if you find yourself stressed out in the moment or you're bored and it's important to, f especially when you're stressed, I would say, I think when you're bored, this is a little bit easier to answer, but when you're stressed, a lot of times stress can naturally create a urge to eat or, or can kind of conjure up cravings. And so what you want to ask yourself is a couple of questions. The first question is, when was the last time that I ate? All right? If you're thinking back to the last time that you ate and you're stressed out and it was only an hour ago, you really don't need calories. Like you, you're not like, it's not like you've been fasting for 18 hours or something and you're stressed out and you're also hungry. I mean, that could be the case, but if you've eaten in the last two hours and in terms of pure black and white need for calories, you, you really don't, especially if you had a pretty decently balanced meal, especially on the uh, calorie uh, quality. The next question I like to ask myself or tell my clients to ask themselves is, are you actually hungry or are you just eating out of stress? And a lot of times that's kind of the question that gets people to go, yeah, you know what? I'm actually not hungry. I think I'm just stressed out. And, and just in that moment of being mindful, you can really start to calm down from your stress. It doesn't always happen. The stress can be really, you know, almost feel like it's crushing you. And so it, you're not going to always win that battle, but it's a good question to ask yourself uh, regardless. The third question I like to ask is, am I stressed out right now? Because sometimes stress is like this low humming vibration that we don't always consciously feel, especially if you're used to being stressed out. Like if you're always used to being stressed at work, you might not recognize it as stress. You might just be something you're used to. So if you try to jump into your 
mindfulness and try to jump into what you feel right now and you do feel stressed, another thing that might be a nice little addition to that is thinking of a time that you're not stressed and trying to compare the two. Like if I'm stressed at work or if I'm stressed during the week, I try to think of, well, was I, did I feel like this over the weekend? When was the last time I didn't feel like this? And that can put some perspective on just how stressed you actually are, especially physiologically, because psychologically, we might not always recognize the stress, but physiologically, we're going through the kind of the checklist of what happens when you're stressed out. Uh, just the other day, or I think it was today, actually, we were in the, me and Val were in the garden and we were cleaning some things up and we had just had a really big breakfast. Um, and we were in the garden and Val turned to me and she goes, can you, can you check this water jug? I think there's something in it. I hear something moving around and I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm kind of thinking, well, what could it be? And then it's before I even got to him, like, it's probably a frog. So I tip the thing over and I shake it out and sure enough, a frog, you know, plops out and Val freaks out and instantly my brain goes into, okay, I need to like shoo this thing away or kill it because Val's freaking out and that's stressing me out. And I realized that physiologically, like after the stress is gone, like after the, after we had both kind of been startled by the frog, I realized that my legs felt like they had, like I had just pumped all these, all this energy into my legs. Like I had to, you know, fly or run away or, or fight something. And that's the fight or flight response. That's a very ancient part of our brains that goes off whenever we get stressed, but it can be triggered both from psychological stress and actual like physically in danger. Uh, so you don't have to be in a physically dangerous situation. You could be in a mentally uh, dangerous or anxiety ridden situation, which can trigger the same physiological effects. And if these effects don't um, happen acutely, meaning that if they aren't short lived, if they are chronic, they cause a tremendous amount of uh, complications with uh, not only our health, but our weight. They can make a big difference with our weight. And if we're chronically stressed, then we're going to chronically have elevated cortisol. And I'm going sort of down a rabbit hole here. But anyway, that's what can happen. And so being able to bring yourself down off that stress can be really powerful and really useful for you, um, especially if you can recognize it. And, you know, to, to again go off on this tangent, because I think stress is such an important thing to try to prioritize in your life, even though it might feel like sometimes you don't know how, but sometimes just talking about it, you know, very casually and try not to be too emotional about it, because at least I've found that if you're so emotional about it, it's really hard for some people to listen to that consistently. But if you try to logically approach your stress and and almost talk about it like you would in a therapy session, but just with a friend or someone who's close to you that you trust, I think that it can be very therapeutic, even if there is no resolution to be found, even if it's just simply voicing your concerns and processing, it can really make a difference. Like I know that when I'm stressed out, a lot of times I'll... I'll either do a video or I'll do a podcast like this or I'll do something. And I realize that just being able to talk about something other than what's stressing me out is a sense of relief because it's kind of a freedom from the prison of that stress that's, you know, going on in the background, you know, whatever it is, personal stress, uh, you know, any kind of stress. It doesn't really matter what it is. All right. And then going to the fourth one talking about, uh, you know, things to ask yourself in that moment of being stressed and trying to figure out if you really need calories is, do I really need food right now? And this kind of jumps off the first question, 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 which was, when's the last time I ate? So what you're really trying to dig at is, 
am I hungry because I need calories or am I hungry because I'm stressed? And stress, stress, bleh, stress can trigger feelings of hunger or I should say more likely cravings. And those cravings are usually in the form of sugar, salt, or some kind of fat. And I would say it's probably sugar more than anything else. So I won't go too deep into that. There's probably a whole podcast that could that we could go into about that topic. But that's another drive-by tip is, is becoming a little bit more reflective with yourself. And, and some of these like conscious eating questions might seem a little woo-woo, you know, kind of like hippy-dippy stuff. But, you know, if you're taking care of a lot of the fundamentals with uh, eating behavior, sometimes these more psychological tips can actually make the biggest difference. I'm not saying that just thinking about not being hungry is going to work, but I am saying that it can be kind of that cherry on top or at least that little boost that you might need in those moments where everything else that you're doing is taken care of. And these are kind of, you know, helpful tips. All right. So I, uh, down to our last two sort of drive-by tips. If you're going to have seconds at a meal, make it protein and vegetables. So I think that um, a lot of times, at least I know, if I'm not being mindful of what I'm eating, that if I go for seconds, I'll usually go for the foods that are the tastiest, the carb-rich foods. And uh, I think that that's a pretty natural response to want to eat the tastiest thing. But if you're really trying to watch how many calories you consume and you're trying to be more mindful and you're in a phase where you're trying to actually lose body fat and, and stay consistent with it and be able to do it over a long period of time, being mindful of what you're eating as your seconds, like it, first of all, do you really need seconds? I like to have a 10 minute rule for seconds where I have my first portion, I wait 10 minutes. If I'm still hungry, I'll go back and I'll grab some protein and vegetables or at least some protein and try to fill up on that because those calories are going to be less dense, meaning that I could probably eat more protein and it not completely add up and, and ruin my, 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 uh, calorie allotment for that day. Um, so that's what's, that's another tip that's really helped me and that I've seen help my, my clients as well. So if you're going to go have seconds, try to fill up on protein and veggies. All right. So that brings us to our last drive by tip and kind of the last topic we'll go over today, which is reduce snacking during the day. Now, if you're somebody who snacks and you manage what you're eating and maybe you're even, you know, counting calories or counting macros or doing something along those lines, more power to you. If you're not doing those things, snacks can really add up over time. And I like to say, if you can avoid having a snack, you're naturally cutting one to 200 calories out of your daily allotment. And for some people, that's all they need in order to start losing body fat or create a caloric deficit. So like if I'm working with a, a client and I've gotten them to the point where they're really good about getting proteins and some type of some type of fiber at their meals, what naturally starts to happen, at least the majority of the time, is the snacks start to decrease. Because snacks are really like a symptom of not getting enough food at meals, or at least not getting enough filling food at meals. So snacks kind of naturally reduce. Snacks are also a way of, uh, of coping with stress. Like, uh, you know, sometimes it's mindless eating when you're having a snack and you're really not hungry, but you're stressed out. And so 
you're having some kind of snack or you're bored or you want to feel good for a moment. So you have a snack and I'm definitely not completely opposed to snacks. Like on the weekends I have, you know, bowls of uh, strawberries and make cut up mango and things like that. So I definitely snack and I've, I've had my fair share of binge eating potato chips and, or I should say uh, tortilla chips because of the, I just, it's hard to, for me to stay away from them. So I'm definitely not saying that you should never have snacks, but the more you can reduce snacks, um, the, the easier it's going to be to reduce the amount of calories you're consuming. Uh, if you're managing your snacks and you're being very mindful of it, then more power to you, especially if you're someone who's very active. You know, you probably actually need those calories in order to perform your best in the gym or, you know, whatever it is that you do during the day at work or, you know, maybe you're going on a long hike and you have some snacks, more power to you. That's totally cool. So. Anyway, I hope that was informative. I hope that those tips helped you. If if you want to see kind of a more visually appealing version of this topic, I did create a YouTube video uh, that talks all about this. It's a 20-minute video that I broke into two videos, so it's two 10-minute videos. Uh, and I talk about this. Uh, it's kind of one of those whiteboard videos. And um, I talk about this on my Instagram, on my Facebook quite a bit because I get lots of questions or lots of comments and feedback from you know, everyone who listens saying, Hey, I go through this all the time. Thanks for the tips. You know, what would you do in this situation? So anyway, that is my podcast episode for today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let me know by leaving a rating on the, uh, the iTunes store, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, you can even leave a comment telling me what you like about the uh, podcast. Leave me a little star rating there too. If you think it deserves five stars, then I'd be very happy with that. If you think it deserves something else, then give it whatever you think. I want to improve this podcast as much as I can and make it valuable to you and to everyone who's listening. So anyway, uh, that is my episode for today. Thanks a ton for listening and stay tuned next week for our topic, which I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to talk about, but it might be intermittent fasting. So we'll see. But anyway, thanks for listening to today's podcast. I'll see you in a future episode.